0: to the podcast of Vertical Life Church. We hope and pray these messages encourage and challenge you to find your glorious purpose in Christ Jesus. For more information, visit us on the web at www.blchurch.tv. Church, my name is Joey. I'm the pastor here. For those of you that are new, I see a couple of new faces here. Today we believe everyone matters to God, so you matter, and uh, we've been praying for 21 new families to join us this year, and so we believe you coming is an answer to prayer. So uh, we thank you for choosing to spend some time with us today. Today, much like on Mother's Day, we are uh, not only celebrating dads, but we're talking about fatherhood. I think it's a subject that we don't often really address in the church, um, and but there is much encouragement from the Word of God and today's message is going to be filled with fatherly advice because we have a father in heaven who has written this this document called the Bible that is filled with fatherly advice for how we should live our lives and, and how we should uh, believe in and uh, seek to live out uh, his call on our lives and so um, I don't think we ever arrive to the place as men The place that we want to be, that there's never a time we're going to say, "Mm, I've arrived. I'm the perfect husband. I'm the perfect father. I'm the perfect dad. I'm the perfect child of God. And some of the things that we're talking about today, I've wrestled with in my life and still wrestle with in my life. We're on equal footing today as we're pressing into the things of the Lord and growing in our relationship with God. So today's challenge is for all of the men. Young and old. So, ladies, if you're here with your husband, it would be very helpful to not do the side jab whenever you hear something that resonates in your household. You know that little, you know, side jab. Anytime I see a guy's eyes go like that, I, I know they're getting the jab. So, if you could please refrain from that, that will help your husband and uh, the fathers in here connect with what God is saying. There won't there will be less distraction. But I want us to rediscover the importance of fatherhood and living out a godly example for our families but before we can truly understand what fatherhood is it's intrinsically attached to another area another subject another issue there is another issue that causes us as men to stifle in our relationship with God to stifle as husbands and also to stifle as fathers because of the struggle that we have with this area So today, not just fatherhood, we need to rediscover what it is to be a man. What it is to be a man. Because I think insecurity, I think all of us to a degree, we struggle with this deep insecurity in our own manhood, and it's the root cause of many issues we struggle with in our everyday lives as husbands and fathers. And it's the open door for a lot of spiritual baggage to be accumulated even before we enter into marriage. We carry this baggage into our relationships, and it's what is the root cause for a lot of our struggles. And really it's because our whole lives, men, our whole lives, we are trying to prove ourselves to be a man according to what the world or what other people define it as. We struggle with this. King David, one of the greatest champions of Israel, and the most, probably the most famous king in the Bible, he was known for many feats. Most commonly, he was known for killing Goliath, right, the giant. He got the stone, slung, slung the stone, killed the giant. It, you know, we've done a disservice to, I think, the children of the, you know, the f- past generations because we don't read the story of David and Goliath to our kids the way it actually is told in the Bible. Like we, we tell it like the whitewashed way, right, the, the, the G-rated way. You know, he, he, the big mean Goliath is out there taunting Israel, and David goes out there, throws the sling in the storm. He gets knocked out, and Israel wins. But the Bible says he got killed. David cut his head off with his own sword and chased after the rest of the enemies, holding the head, making them run for the hills, right? That's the story I like. Can I get an amen, guys? Oh, amen, right? <laughs> Like, we need to quit quit watering down the Bible. We need to just say it how it is, right? But David, he had all of these amazing feats. He had this anointing on him that made him almost impossible. And it got to the point where the women of the nation, when they saw David, they would sing a song. And David wasn't king at this time. There's another king named Saul. But when David came into town after battle, they would sing, Saul has killed his thousands, and David has ten thousands, his fame, his notoriety exceeded even that of the king, and that didn't make King Saul very happy with David at all. Matter of fact, he got a little jelly. And so he started to try to discover or find ways to kill David because he's like, i got to get this guy out. He's stealing my thunder. So he comes up with this plan. He tells David, David, I will let you marry my daughter, which was a big deal. Um, and he said, "And but you don't have to pay me any money because back then you had to pay... The father of the bride, a bride price in order to marry the daughter. So you don't have to pay me anything. All I want is for you to go into Philistine country or, or sworn enemies. I want you to kill a hundred Philistines and bring me back their foreskins. And I'm thinking, Saul, could you have not thought of a different request? I mean, like, what made him, like, what? could David like have faked like fingers you kill a guy you get ten fingers so it's being like I only had to kill you know like half as many because I got all the fingers you know you could fake a finger but you can't fake a foreskin there's only one of those so that's what he asks right there in the scripture and David he's like you know that's an interesting request but instead of a hundred I'll bring you two hundred so David goes out and kills two hundred soldiers and has his men gather up the requested item and I'm thinking what if you were a new recruit on that day like, I'm signing up for fame and for glory. And David's like, you got foreskin duty. And I'm like, I did not sign up for this. This is not what I signed up for. Can you please choose? What, what's the penalty for, uh, for dereliction of duty? And Because I'm really considering that in this moment. Like, how would you like to be that guy? You wouldn't. But this is what he did. David had a powerful anointing on him. Like, whatever he set out to do, God gave him favor, and he accomplished, making him nearly unstoppable. In battle. He became the greatest king of Israel. He gathered the nation together. They experienced incredible wealth and prosperity. His, his enemies like, shuddered at his, even, even at his name. And at the end of his life, he goes to pass on some fatherly advice to his son Solomon, who's going to assume the throne after his death. Solomon is going to be the next king. So he's about to pass the torch to Solomon and not only pass on the crown and the kingship, but he's going to give him some parting fatherly advice. Now, we're talking about fatherhood today. But here's what David, a father, says to his son about to become king, which we're going to read in two separate passages. They're the same moment, but there's, he says a couple different things in each passage. The first passage is found in 1 Kings chapter 2, 1 through 2. And here's what the Word of God records for us. He says, as the time of King David's death approached, he gave this charge to his son Solomon. I'm going where everyone on earth must someday go. Take courage and be a man. I want all the men to say this with me. Say, take courage and be a man. Come on, say it like a man. Take courage and be a man. Heavenly Father, God, I pray right now in Jesus' name that you would help us rediscover what it is to be a man. That you would break off all the lies and deceptions of the world and the enemy and all the things that have caused us as men to not bring favor and blessing into our homes but brokenness. And I'm so thankful, God, that your love is unfailing because when we bring our brokenness to you, healing is in the wings. And so, God, we we ask you, give us a fresh vision of what it is to be a man and raise us up. You said in the last days, you're gonna send Elijah with an anointing to return the heart of the fathers to the sons and the son to the fathers. There There is a heavenly and fatherly anointing you wanna pour out. We ask you, God, begin with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Take courage and be a man. What is he saying? He's saying, what I'm about to tell you That defines what a man is. You are going to need courage. You're going to need courage. You're going to have to put everything you are into this. Now we're thinking, this is David. He's a mighty warrior. He's a fierce combatant. He's led these campaigns. He's had all these battles and struggles and been victorious. What is he about to say? What's this thing Solomon is going to have to be courageous in order to accomplish in his life? And as I look at this, I'm like, okay, David, what is it? What is it that you're going to say is going to make me a man? What is it that's going to make me a man? What courageous act, what courageous thing am I going to have to do to be a man In my life. And you would think about all these different things. And I think we think about what the culture puts on man today. Now, in our day today, it's getting awfully confusing what a man is. There's a lot of questions. There's a lot of spectrum and ideas of what, what man is. But there are still these norms that we hear all the time in our culture. What men are tough. Men don't cry, right? Men like cars. Men take Charge men chase women, right? There's this mindset. We see depicted in all of our movies in all of our television shows in books We, we see depicted everywhere this image of what a man is supposed to be And so there are a lot of perceptions of this idea, but King David a man's man Biblically we could say he is the man of the Old Testament is about to tell his son what is a man, what he's going to need to be courageous, and he doesn't list any of these qualities in his description. In 1 Kings chapter 2 and verse 3, here's what he says, Take courage, be a man, observe the requirements of the Lord your God, follow his ways, keep the decrees, commands, regulations, and laws written in the law of Moses so that you will be successful in all you do wherever you go. So that you'll be successful now the word requirement there in the Hebrew language if you read it in a in the deeper translation it means keep the duty live up to your commission your call the very purpose for which God has created you called you the requirements he's saying be courageous don't back down from your calling don't back down don't let fear get in the way of what God's calling you to do. He says, keep the decrees. This word also means customs, ordinances, or traditions God has put in place to guard your life. Be courageous and keep the traditions God has set up before you. Number three is commands. These are the laws of God. This is what he said to do and what not to do. He says, be courageous and be obedient to God. Number four is regulations. It's, the, it's a courtroom uh, term. It's an act of deciding a case. And in the case of the Passover, God said, you must observe the Passover on this day, on this month, in this way. And a man came to Moses and had a question and he said, well, what if we're away and we, we can't come to the exact location at the exact time, the exact day, God said to observe the Passover. And Moses was like, that's a good question. I'll go ask God. And so he goes into the tent of meeting and God says, it's okay. They can just observe it on another day. And so there are things that are not expressly written in Scripture, but when we understand the wisdom of God and how God thinks, then we can follow his regulations. And so he's saying, be courageous and know how God thinks. Follow his wisdom. And number five is the word laws. It can also be translated as testimonies. These are the revelations of God, both written and experienced. What he's saying, he's saying, be courageous and don't forget what God said that we wrote down, and don't forget what God did in your life. Don't forget. David tells his son, if you do these things, you will be successful in all you do wherever you go. Is it not an encouragement, men, that God wants you to be successful? He wants your success. He wants you to be successful. He wants to bless your life. Now, see, men—we're naturally competitive, aren't we? Like, I think back to when I was a kid. Like, we, like e- even now, we we can turn anything into a competition. Like, it really doesn't matter where we are. We 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 compete against anything. I remember when I was a kid, and we were at school, and it was time to get in line. We'd race to get in line. Whoever can get in line first. And uh, I remember back in uh, the olden days when we were at church uh, in kids ministry, they'd often take all of us kids together to the bathroom and. In the church we were particularly in, in Texas, there was only one toilet in the bathroom, and all the boys went in at the same time, and, and a couple of us would use the bathroom at the same time, like, you know, to urinate, and we would, like, cross our straws like we were sword fighting. Like, we would turn, like, even that, I know it was a different time. You couldn't do that today. But, but like, there's just things that we do that don't make any sense, but it's competition, and we're going to win. We're, we're going to make it happen. You know, there's so many things that we do, uh, to compete, men don't, you know. And and I just say this, you know, that was that was before we learned the rules about the bathroom. Like right now, like you learn the rules as you grow up. You don't make eye contact in the bathroom. Let's just make that. You don't you don't speak. You look up. You look down. Never side to side. And you just stay quiet because it's forbidden. It's forbidden. But we're naturally competitive. The triple dog dare, invented by men. Right? That's just the way it is. You'd never know your tongue would stick to a uh, frozen metal object outside if it weren't for dudes. That's just, I'm, I'm just saying, that's the way it is. And David says, a man, a true man, is not one who's out to be successful in the eyes of men. A true man is a man of God. A man is not a man who's out to be successful in the eyes of men. A true man is a man of God, and God is cheering on the man of God. We are in a competition. The enemy is trying to compete for our attention, for our obedience. There are things that are competing for our attention. We're competing to stay faithful, to run the course, to do what God's called us to do. And God is rooting on the man of God who says, I am going to be courageous in my calling. And God has given us this blueprint and how to be successful at being a man, a real man, but it's not about cars, trucks, girls, or dollar signs. In another passage in 1 Chronicles 28, 8-10, through It records this conversation a little differently, and I love what's included in here. He says, So now, with God as our witness, and in the sight of all Israel, the Lord's assembly, I give you this charge. Again, he's talking to his son. He's saying, Be careful to obey all the commands. Somebody say commands. Obey all the commands of the Lord your God, so that you may continue to possess this good land and leave it to your children as a permanent inheritance. And Solomon, my son, learn to know the God of your ancestors intimately. Worship and serve him with your whole heart and a willing mind. For the Lord sees every heart and knows every plan and thought. If you seek him, you will find him. But if you forsake him, he'll reject you forever. So take this seriously. For the Lord has chosen you. Somebody say chosen you. The Lord has chosen you to build a temple as his sanctuary. Men, be strong. And do the work Be strong and do the work What I love about this passage is David Reiterates God's desire for Solomon's success in verse 8 He says be careful to obey all the Commands of the Lord so you'll Continue to possess the good Land there are blessings that Solomon Had in his life and he's saying if you continue To follow me you're going to keep these Blessings there, there, there's not anything Going to come between what I've given You and in your Life God wants good for us He wants to bless us And the pathway to receive And experience that blessing Is to seek Him With our whole hearts To be a man of God There are a few key elements In this passage I just want to touch on quickly These characteristics Of a man of God Number one In First Chronicles 28 9 it says My son Learn to know the God Of your ancestors What's that word? Learn to know the God Of your ancestors Intimately A man of God knows the Lord intimately. A man of God knows the Lord intimately. What does it mean to know God intimately? Well, it doesn't mean to read all the biographies or autobiographies about God that you can. There are a lot of biographies and autobiographies written about people all over the world, many famous people like George Washington and Benjamin Franklin and uh, Abraham Lincoln. You can read every book written about these men's lives. You can know every detail that's ever been recorded in history about these men's lives. You can recite where they were born, where they died, who they were married to. You can know all these facts about these men, but that doesn't mean you know these men. Knowing someone intimately is different than knowing about someone. Questions like, what makes them mad? What makes them laugh? What makes them tick? What's their voice sound like? How do they laugh? What, what, what are their dreams, their passions? You can't learn those things in a book. Those things can only be learned when you experience them by doing life together with that person. My wife and my kids will sometimes play this game on me when they call me on the phone. They'll call with my wife's phone, but it'll be one of the kids on the phone pretending to be my wife. And they want to see if they can fool me into knowing, like, you know, know, is it mommy? You know, that type of a game. And sometimes, you know, the older they get, the harder it is because they're starting to sound more and more like their mom on the phone. It's really difficult. But I usually figure it out because I've lived with them long enough to know how they pronounce their words, how they say certain things, what they would and wouldn't say. Like, I know what my wife would say in a lot of respects. I know how she wouldn't talk, right? So I eventually figure it out, usually because I am intimately aware of who they are. Because I have an intimate relationship with my family. Many believers, especially men, because it requires an emotional connection. Many men opt for an intellectual faith because it's easier and it makes them feel smarter and more accomplished but really it's because they don't want to have to be vulnerable and humble enough in pursuing God in an intimate faith a faith that is willing to look foolish in pursuit of the heart of God why because I'm a man I don't men don't do that David said men do Men pursue God. If you think of David's life, there was a moment where David was celebrating with the people as the Ark of the Covenant, the the item that symbolized the presence of God, was coming back to the nation and coming to Jerusalem, and he was dancing with all the people, and he was acting just like a commoner, dancing with all of his might, and he gets back home, and his wife is, you know, like that, just upset because he embarrassed her. How dare you act like a common person? How dare you act like that? You made yourself a fool. And David said to his wife, I'll become even more foolish than this because my worship was to the Lord. When a man is secure with his relationship with God, it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. It doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. I'm willing to look even more foolish because what I do is not for man, it is for the Lord. You see, intellectuals have a hard time looking foolish because there's a whole lot of pride in the way. And that pride is a mode of protection to keep myself from looking less than a man. So they settle for knowing a lot about God rather than really knowing God. You see, a real man, a real man is a man of God who seeks to know God, not just intellectually, but also intimately. Intimately. Do you know what God's voice sounds like? Do you know his heart? Do you know how he thinks? See, we got these bracelets years ago that said WWJD on it. What would Jesus do? But you know, if you know God intimately, you already know what Jesus would do. You don't need a bracelet to remind you. When you get to know God intimately, you discover how gracious, how kind, how awesome he really is. You learn his voice and his personality. God has a personality. Like, if you don't read the Bible and see the funny parts in the Bible, you're missing it. There's some really funny things in the Bible. A talking, a talking donkey, that's funny. It's funny. When you learn his personality, when you learn to know him intimately, you'll become overwhelmed with his love for you. That's why David says, number two, a man of God doesn't only know him intimately, a man of God is also a worshiper. First Chronicles 28.9 says worship and serve him with your whole heart and a willing mind. You become a worshiper. See, a man of God is not dragged to church. He's the one dragging everyone else to church. A man of God doesn't have to be talked into singing or expressing worship to God or love to God in the, in the gathering. Why? Because he's doing it so often at home when he comes to church. It's just like second nature. A man of God is free in his worship to the Lord because he's got that relationship everywhere he goes, not just when he comes to church on Sunday. A man of God doesn't have to be convinced to serve God in ministry, either in the gathering of believers or outside the walls in in his sphere of influence. Why? Because he understands Jesus gave everything for us. The least I could do is serve him with my life. A man of God worships in spirit and truth your whole heart in a willing mind. Number three, a man of God worships is chosen for mighty work. First Chronicles 28:10. He says, "So take this seriously. Not don't don't shirk this. This isn't something you slack off on or do haphazardly. This is serious business. You need cur- courage for this, men." He says, "The Lord has chosen you." Somebody say chosen you. You're chosen. You're chosen. You're chosen by God to build A temple so be strong and do the work there is a mighty work that God has called you to build man there's a strong work God has called you to do in order for this to be accomplished a man of God cannot quit for Solomon it was building a physical temple in the nation of Israel but the scripture says that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit given to you by God you are not your own so you must honor God with your body. Men, God has called you to build a spiritual temple, to live a life holy, dedicated for God's glory, to be holy as he is holy. But not only are you called to be a man of God, dedicated for holiness, dedicated to the Lord, but you've also been tasked with another great work. In 1 Chronicles 28.8, as he's giving this list of, uh, of commands of... of Of Descriptions of a man of God he says be careful to obey all the commands Lord your God so that you may continue to possess this good land and then do what leave it to who your children as a permanent inheritance inherent in God's call to every man is not just to live a holy life but it's to raise you up to be a father who releases blessings to future generations. God doesn't just have your faith and your life in mind. God's thinking about your legacy to bless your name. This is why all throughout the Old Testament, whenever uh, a man was married, but he died before they had kids, a close relative would come, and he would father a child, and that child would take on the name of the father who was dead. Why? Because God is passionate about names carrying on godly legacy. God is passionate about your name, leaving a godly heritage, a godly legacy. God's plans to bless you as part of the plan He's designed to also bless the children after you. And men, like it or not, God has raised us up to be the doorway of blessing or cursing into our family. Remember back in Genesis, Genesis chapter 3, when Satan comes to tempt even the garden and she bites the apple. And it says, then she gives to her husband. With her, It wasn't an apple, it's a fruit, but we commonly call it an apple. But he, she bites the fruit and then she gives it to her husband. After she bit the fruit, it does not say they, she knew she was naked and was ashamed. It Does't say that at all. It's after Adam ate the fruit that they realized they were naked and ashamed. Romans 5:12 it says, "The sin of one man brought sin into the earth and death by sin." Adam was the doorway for sin to come in to the family line. It was at that moment Adam ate the fruit they knew they were naked and full of shame. Men, we need to see our lives with a larger lens than simply in the here and now. The presumption of God's call on your life, men, for the work that he's called you to do is not that you'll just be a man, but also a husband and a father. The evolution of man is not monkeys to men. The evolution of man is son to spouse to sage. A sage is one who gives wisdom and advice. In Genesis chapter 2, again, God made man in his image to be like God. What is God to us? Jesus taught us to pray. What did he say? He said, pray our Father. If man is made in the image of God, And God made us intrinsically like him, then he would call us to be fathers. He is our heavenly father, but he's also many things, including our source for wisdom. And fatherhood is one of the ways we reflect his image in the world. Fatherhood is by design. In Malachi chapter 2, we read about what God's desire was for that first family, for that first husband and wife. It wasn't just that they wouldn't be lonely, but there was something deeper. In Malachi 2, 15 and 16, God says through the prophet, didn't the Lord make you one with your wife? In body and spirit you are his. And what does he want? He wants godly children from your union. This is what God wanted. God wanted a family. He wanted an earthly family. So he designed the man and woman to come together as husband and wife and that godly children would be born from their union. So he says, guard your heart. Remain loyal to the wife of your youth. For I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel. To divorce your wife is to overwhelm her with cruelty, says the Lord of heaven's armies. So guard your heart. Somebody say guard your heart. Guard your heart and do not be unfaithful to your wife. God wants godly offspring, children who love and serve God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And this is why he says to the men, guard your heart. Guard your heart and be faithful to your wife. Guard your heart and be faithful to your wife. Because of the actions of the husband, who will be the father, you will either have a positive or detrimental effect on the rest of your family. You are in a position of responsibility, but also a position of privilege in your family. And God wanted an earthly family that would reflect his glory in all the earth. And as men, as husbands, as fathers, we get the privilege of carrying that legacy on into the world. There's an old saying, like father, like son. Like father, like son. Isn't it amazing how God positions man to be who he calls his image bearer, to be like him, also as the head and leader of the family. In Ephesians 5, it says, Husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church and gave himself for it, for the husband is the head of the wife. The men are the heads, not to be dictator. Ladies, you want to say amen right there? Amen. You know, you're not called to be a dictator and have everyone in your home bow down and worship you. We worship Jesus and Jesus alone. But why does God set up man to be the head? It's because dads represent him in the home. Fathers protect. Fathers provide. Fathers teach. Fathers encourage. Fathers challenge. Fathers discipline. Fathers counsel. Fathers lead. Fathers are supposed to reflect in their earthly families what God does for all humanity. Fathers play such an important role in the home, and statistically speaking, without an active and emotionally connected father in the home, kids are far more likely to display antisocial behavior later in life. Our jail systems are full of fatherless children. One of the biggest breakdowns in the human family is relationships. If God can get at the marriage, God can also get at the rest of the family. And this stems from what God told the men in Malachi 2. He says, you need to guard your heart and be faithful to the wife of your youth. Like it or not, we have a sin-saturated culture that's bent on tearing marriage apart. This is the enemy's plan since the beginning. And much of the sin uh, is geared toward or targeting men in our culture. And if the men of God won't stand up to protect their families physically and spiritually, their families won't have that spiritual covering that God designed for the family to thwart off the influences and attack of the enemy. There's something to be said about the faith of a mother, but it's a father who's chosen by God to stand up for his family, to fill that gap and that covering for his family. And again, one of the many issues men wrestle with is this feeling it, it, it's born out of insecurity, I, I believe, but it's this feeling to be independent. We just want to be independent. We want to be a man. I'm a man. I'm a man, so I do what I want. Right? I'm a man. Don't, don't tell me. I wear the pants in this family. Why? Because I'm a man. I'm a man. Levi's. That's what I wear. Levi's. I'm a man. I groan. But yet many men provide poor examples to their families of what a man's supposed to be. Because of an inability to be vulnerable enough and humble enough to pursue true intimacy intimacy that builds trust and security See a real man a man of God doesn't try to live independently from his wife to live completely separate But yet maintain their position in Genesis 2 18. Here's what God said it Says the Lord said it is not good when all the men to say it's not good It is not good for what? For the man to be alone. It's not good. It's not good. So what did God do? He made a helper who's just right for him. God knows what you need. He put a woman in your life to help you be everything God has called you to be. God himself said it's not good so you can work and you can war for your dreams and your aspirations your everything that you've been wanting since you're a kid you can work hard for that you can work hard to be considered a man in everybody's sight but you'll not be able to fully realize what god is intended for you to be you'll only be half as good as you can be without your helper you can't even parent as well as you could without your helper that's why she's there to help she's there to help The way you listen to your wife, men, and heed her counsel. And believe me, I struggle with this too. I'm not preaching at you. We're all in this together. The way we listen to our wives and heed her counsel will set a model for your kids to follow. Do you let the helper help, or do you fight the help God has sent you to ensure your success and your blessing? See, many men want to be married but still live like a bachelor. But a man of God doesn't seek to remain alone so he can be selfish and self-centered. He seeks to find and treasure his wife. See, in Genesis 2, when God created woman for the man, this, is, this was an amazing moment for Adam. Adam just watched God show him every animal he'd created, and he made, gave names to all the animals. And God was saying, we're going we're gonna to get you a helper. We're going to get you a mate. And what's he do? He shows him all the animals. And Adam's like, ox? Uh, no. Cat, no, definitely not. Guinea pig, mm-mm, not going to work. But then God shows him the woman. And he says, at last, the man exclaimed, this one is bone for my bone and flesh for my flesh. She'll be called woman because she was taken from man. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother is joined to his wife. The two are united into one, and the man and his wife were both naked but felt no shame. They are both completely vulnerable, completely transparent, nothing between them. And there was no shame and no brokenness perfectly intimate and there was nothing between them and the blessing of that unity of flesh and spirit were children the physical union of the two can never be separated when you bring children into the mix think about it God says the two shall become one we take half of the DNA strand from the man half the DNA strand from the woman we combine it together in a child And you can never separate it again. That's why Jesus said what God has put together, let no one separate. It's deeper than just a contractual agreement before a courthouse and a judge. You need your helper. And there's this pull of insecurity in ourselves as men for whatever reason that we'd rather because of fear or feeling or appearing weak or less than manly choose to live independent or disconnected lives from our wives and our kids. And though we may be in the home physically, we're definitely disconnected emotionally. So we're in the home but not really in the home. And we're not leading our families to a life that is filled with health and blessing but dysfunction. And we need to understand this mystery to understand the importance of humility and the power of vulnerability because if we can't be good husbands, we definitely won't be good fathers. So here's the question, guys. Remember when God created man and woman, what did God use to create Eve? What was it? It was a rib, right? Why couldn't God use anything else? You ever ask that question? I mean, he grabbed a bunch of dirt, blew on it, and it became Adam. Like, guys, if anyone ever calls you a dirt bag, don't get offended, because it's true. <laughs> You're a dirt bag. You're a dirt bag. Why couldn't he make another dirt bag, blow on it, and make a woman? Or if he's going to take something from Adam, why not some hair? Like, that seems a little less invasive. But he took a rib. What do ribs do? They protect the thoracic organs in the body and aid in breathing, which enables life. So when we think about what God did, what does it tell us that he took one of Adam's ribs? It tells us in order to protect the wife's heart, the man's heart has to become vulnerable. in order to protect the wife's heart for her life to flourish, you have to become vulnerable and humble and sacrifice yourself as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. If we want to protect our wife's heart, we must first let our hearts become vulnerable. This is how your wife comes to know you. Your wife wants nothing more than to know you and not just know your biography, things about you. She wants to know you. Good, bad, and ugly. She wants to know you. And the more she knows you, The more intimacy is created with her, the more trust you have. The more vulnerable you are with her, the more trust she can have, the more she can know you and trust you. And the more she trusts you, the more honor she's going to give you in your life. Adam's heart was exposed before his wife's heart could be protected or covered. And the amazing thing is, what happened next after his heart was exposed? The two were united into one which means Adam's heart got covered again because his rib came home. And the intimacy that they shared covered them both. See, before we can protect our wives' heart, our heart must first become vulnerable. We can love our wives and our families, but when we're too busy covering ourselves, the only thing we can use to protect ourselves is pride. It's pride. It's the opposite of humility and vulnerability. When we keep protecting ourselves from, ourselves from pain, when we're trying to protect ourselves rather than letting our helpers help, we open the door for pain, affliction, dysfunction in our relationships. See, men, we have to become vulnerable to love them well. Something the Lord just spoke to my heart, and, th- and this convicts me when I was reading this passage and just thinking about it this relationship, one of the major divides and areas of conflict in relationship is intimacy. And this is a large part of the root problem. You see, your wife, men, can't trust you to protect her if you are constantly trying to protect yourself from her. Your wife cannot trust you to protect her if you're constantly trying to protect yourself from her. The way we guard our hearts is not in isolation and being alone and pride and arrogance. The way we guard our hearts, he says in Malachi 2, is not with fighting with our wives or being harsh with our wives. First Peter three seven says when we're harsh with our wives, our prayers are hindered. That when we're harsh with the one God gave us, our prayers can be hindered. Why? Just think about it. If you're a father and you have a precious daughter and she's dating a dirt bag <laughs> who's talking to her, disrespecting her, putting her down, threatening her, abusing her, and he comes and asks you for some money, are you going to answer that with a yes? No. Why would I bless you to hurt my daughter even more? Malachi 2 doesn't say guard your heart by being prideful and arrogant and harsh with your wife. So you can't be faithful to God while being unfaithful to your wife when we fall into the unfaithfulness trap when we try to protect our hearts instead of hers. A real man, a man of God, we are faithful, we lower ourselves, and we sacrifice because that's what Jesus did for us. We follow his example. And when we do the works of Christ, healing follows Healing follows. Our hearts get protected when our wives come home and the two are united back to one. See, God's plan to bless you. He has plans to prosper you. And his plan is that you would come into this world as a son, men, grow up to be a spouse, and then father a family as a sage and discover a truly rich and satisfying life. But what is a shame? And we're going to talk to the younger Men in our day, the single men, as many in our day today try to do things out of order. Marriage is really kind of going by the wayside, still happening, but not the way God intended. So some father children even before they have a spouse. Or some are still children living in their parents' home, fathering children even with a woman who they have no intention of marrying. And it's an open door for so much shame and brokenness when we go outside of God's will and plan for our lives. I think one of the reasons why many in our day-to-day walk away from marriage or forsake it altogether, one, is because of poor examples that were before them in their own families. But two, we wrestle with this pride issue, and we were never shown how to sacrificially love a spouse, what it means to truly be a man because it requires laying ourselves down. So some simply just want the benefits of being married without the covenant of marriage. Others forsake marriage altogether because they want to stay a kid like Peter Pan and always have fun. There's some guys that want to play video games in their mom's basement until they're 40 years old and then find out what their parents' retirement plan is so whether they can upgrade their game system. You know, it's just, there's this epidemic. There's studies that show that, that um, the immaturity is lasting Well into college years, they're they're extending um, the, the age ranges of when really manhood and womanhood come into being because we are maturing slower. God wants every boy to grow up into men, to be like him, reflect his image, and part of doing that is growing up into a man, into a spouse, into a father. So when you surrender to this call on your life, and you lay your selfish desires down, what you'll discover is what God desired for you, a blessed life. Not a perfect life, but a blessed life. A wife is a treasure from the Lord, and children are a blessing from the Lord. But the way to get there, to get as close to nakedness without shame, is to doing it God's way. It's God's way. And he has specifically given us a format, a formula, to follow. I know there's a lot of confusion in our culture, but I want to read you again how God set up for us to go through this process of maturity from son to spouse to father. And it's found in Genesis twenty 2, 24, and 25. Here's what it says. This explains why a man leaves, somebody say leaves, leaves his father and mother, is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Now, the man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. It's like when when we finally get old enough to to start thinking for ourselves, you know, what we want to go to in this culture is the nakedness part. That's like all we think about. And the nakedness part was God's design. It's a good thing, but outside of his design, and outside of what he's instructed, it becomes a destructive thing. And God wants good for you, and this is the process for becoming a man. We try to circumvent this process in our culture, but unless we do this God's way, it's going to continue these cycles of brokenness. And so what I want to do, especially for the young men in our audience today, I want to nail this down because I want to set you up to be as successful and as blessed as you can for the rest of your lives so that when you leave home, you're doing it on good footing with God's favor on your life. So we're going to do a living example, uh, and, uh, and I want to demonstrate what this looks like so that you know how to leave your father and mother, what it, what it looks like, and cling to your wife. And so th- this is a participation point. I'm going to need a couple volunteers to help me. You won't have to say anything. So can I get a, a man and a woman to stand in as the mom and dad? Any show of hands? Chris? Got Chris? Okay. Anyone else? Deb? Okay, you come on up. Once you guys come up? I promise you won't have to say anything, even though I'm getting the microphone. And you guys, go ahead and come up here on stage. Thank you. You guys will stand right here, about right here. Okay. This will be fun. Alright. So... Alright. Now I got a rope here. Alright, we're gonna give this rope to you. Okay. And now I need someone to stand in as the son. Can anybody stand in? Scott? Alright. Scott. And I also need a wife. Michelle, will you come? Come on. You don't you won't have to say anything yet. Come on. Let's stand up here. This will be fun. I just want you to, I want us to get this visual of how this works, because as fathers, we need to pass this process down to our children. So, Scott, yeah, stand about right there. And Michelle, right there is good. Yeah, okay. All right. So, the man left his father and mother clung to his wife. So, we have a family unit here. They were united into one, right? So, they're connected. When a baby is born, right, there's connected by the umbilical cord, right? So we have Scott who's connected by the cord. The problem in our world today is many parents aren't setting their kids up for success. They're not raising them up in the way they should go. They're allowing them to become children too long, and so they get to the place where they should be leaving to start their own families or responsibility, but there's a problem. They're still attached by the cord, so to speak. Right, So in order for Scott's son to leave his father and mother, what do we have to do? We've got to cut the cord, right? So if we could put uh, the Genesis chapter 2 verse back on the screen. But look at what it says. This explains why a what? Man leaves. It ultimately is the parent's responsibility to raise their children. But it's the son's responsibility to leave. To leave to grow into a husband and a father so parents can only do what they can do but the boys have to decide within themselves I'm going to leave it's my decision right how can you lead a family if you can't pay your own bills if you're still living in your mom's basement if you don't know what it is if you don't know how to do laundry you can't cook for yourself or take care of yourself how are you to take care of a family if you can't do these basic things That's why parents, it's important we don't just let our kids hang out at home. We teach them the fundamental skills that they need to survive on their own because at some point, the son has to leave on his own volition, his own decision. And so I've got a little pair of scissors here. We're going to symbolically, thank you, we're going to symbolically cut the cord. (laughs) It's Father's Day. Oh, I'm a man. So Scott, <laughs> right, yeah, I, chainsaw didn't work. So you're going to leave your father and mother. So I want you to do the honors and cut the rope. All right, can we give him a hand and cut the rope? All right, so now here's the important part. Is he still related? Yes, his primary focus is not his mom and his dad any longer. His primary focus is the one who God gave him to watch over and protect. So he's going to come, and he's going to be joined to his wife. But before he can be joined, Genesis chapter 2 is the first wedding ceremony. This was a time God brought the man and the woman into covenant together. So if Scott was intending to get into covenant with Michelle, the first thing he'd need to do is take her by the hand, so take her hand, and get down on one knee, Try and, get back up. and then I'll let you take it from here. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's the best place to do this. Um, people in church here have helped you and I both heal individually and then heal together and I didn't want a t-shirt that said the situation. <laughs> I'd rather have a situation that says two old married folks. <laughs> so I'd like the honor of having your hand in marriage. Yes. yes. <laughs> Amen. And that's how it's done. That Amen. We're so proud of Scott and Michelle. And got what God's doing in your lives. Proud of you, buddy. Aww. Proud of you. That's awesome. But this is the moment. Boys, this is the moment you need to start planning for now. Because every decision you make, from the influences you let in your ears to what you see, to who you hang out with, will determine what kind of man you are going to become. In my prayer for you, as you look at the example before you, is that you desire to be the greatest man of God, the greatest gift you could give to a bride. That you learn now how to be humble and vulnerable so that you're not fighting with your wife, but you're always fighting for your wife. And that God can raise you up and bless you all the days of your life. That you can maintain the blessings that he's giving you and the favor on your life because you obey his commandments. You seek him wholeheartedly. You worship him with a willing heart and a willing mind. And all the days of your life, you get to enjoy the blessings that come with a rich and satisfying life through a family, beloved for the first 15 or so years of my marriage, well, I say 13 years of my marriage, I didn't get this concept. And I lived isolated, and I harbored sin, and I took my family for granted. And it came to a point where I almost lost everything for me to wake up to what I actually had in front of me. And I pray you don't have to get to that moment where you're facing losing everything, To capture this revelation that what God has brought together is for your good. And who you have before you is for your blessing for generation to generation to come. And the invitation to you today is first to the men. It doesn't matter how old or how young you are. Whether you're starting out, maybe you're single, and you're not married yet. Or maybe you've been married a long time. No matter what is going on in your life, will you today say, God, I want to be a man of God. I want to be a man of God. Young men, I want to guard my heart, God. I want to pursue you wholeheartedly so that I can be the man you called me to be for my family. Maybe you're you're married, and you have some kids. God, I've made some mistakes, but I'm trusting in your, the power of your love and your forgiveness, and today I'm going to become vulnerable, and I'm going to get on my hands and knees, and I'm going to dedicate myself today for the rest of my life to be the man you've created me to be. Maybe you're older, and your kids have left the house, and you're like, what can I do now to change the culture in my family that my kids aren't even here anymore? When the devil steals one mic, I'll take another one. It's not too late to change the culture in your family. God said, Jesus said, with man, it's impossible. With God, everything is possible. It takes obedience and faith The I'm not going to quit. And I'm going to seek God. He says, if you seek me, you'll find me. I'm not going to quit until I discover who God's called me to be. And I'm not going to quit pursuing my wife and change the culture in my relationship. I'm not going to stop pursuing the heart of my kids. I don't care if they live five states away. I'm going to call them every day, tell them I love them, to change the culture in my family. It doesn't matter how many mistakes you've made. You can change the culture in your family because God is rooting for you. And if you surrender to Him, He's going to fight for you. So the invitation is to all the men in the room. If you want to be a man of God, if you want God to change the culture in your family, then right now, the sound of my voice, you don't have to wait for me to, to say come. You just come on. You just get up and come. Come down. Kneel down at these first rows of seats. Kneel down and dedicate your life to God again to God. I'm rededicating my life to you as a man of God. I'm going to be the leader of my home. Young boys, if you're still in your parents' house, I'm going to come be the leader of my home. I'm not going to let culture lead me anymore. I'm going to lead My home, when the time has come, you come and you pray. You begin to do business with God. From all of us at Vertical Life Church, we want to say thank you for listening. If this ministry has blessed you in any way, please consider making a tax-deductible donation to www.blchurch.tv forward slash give.